Well, good evening, church. It's such a great honor for um, me to have the opportunity to minister. Most importantly, for us to also gather as a family and as a church. Amen. I really want to believe that um, you've had a good week or you've started on a good note. Uh, we're halfway through the working week. Um, and we are in April. Are you excited? It's our Easter month, you know, and uh, all too soon next week will we'll signify a very momentous occasion on the Christian calendar, which is the Easter week, or which in other circles is called the Passion Week. Uh, the pa Passion Week is basically the last seven days of Jesus' accounts before his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. So we look forward to celebrating that. Amen. Um, Easter holds a very great significance and a great meaning to our, our Christian faith. It's, it's one of the central cracks of our Christian faith. Um, out of that experience or event, uh, some may call it an event, um, has emanated the new covenant. Are you aware that you and I are recipients of the new covenant because of Easter? That would have never happened. And when we are talking about Easter, we are not talking about commercialized Easter. That's the Easter bunny, the Easter eggs. That's okay. We are talking about Easter. We are talking about Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. And don't forget his crucifixion. So Christ's crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. These four points is what Easter is established on. Yeah, so Easter is not a commercial thing. And we all have to value that. Because today you and I, we are part of another covenant altogether. It's called the new covenant. The new covenant has been made possible because of Easter. Because of one man who selflessly laid down his life. And out of this Easter event has been many foundational doctrines uh, for Christian living. And I believe tonight it's an opportunity for us and an attempt uh, to look at such of one of these, uh, which is called redemption. So redemption is one of the words that is thrown about. And we, we've understood redemption by the means of Christ's death or crucifixion, sorry, his death, barrier, and resurrection. So this month, we really want to look at a series on redemption. Uh, I must admit I have a pet peeve. And my pet peeve is when words are reduced to buzzwords or Christian cliches. Um, I don't think that's the best. When, when words are just reduced to just becoming a rhyme and it becomes more of a point of exclamation, uh, honestly, it, it loses meaning. It loses great significance, great depth, and great richness of God's revelation uh, that you may never know because it's, it's just a cliche to you or a rhyme. So I really want to believe God that tonight, um, for all of us who are here present and those who, who are listening, uh, we will 
uh, have the opportunity by the Holy Spirit to attempt to unpack uh, what redemption is all about. And I believe it should give us a cause to rejoice and shout for joy when all is said and done. Amen. Uh, it's not just important to just know. It's important to receive this truth. Practically apply the word to your life. Okay? That's the most important thing. That's the only reason we come to Bible study. We come to Bible study so that we will receive the word of God. Practically apply the word of God to our lives so that the word will work. And then from there, we can see ourselves growing from glory to glory, from one level to the next level. Hence, becoming more and more like Christ. So I just want to believe that's what uh, this series is inching towards. It's inching towards perfection. It's inching towards a matured growth and a, a good standing in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we start, let's just share a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We thank you for another opportunity to sit at your table and break bread, which is the living bread of the word. Uh, I pray that, Lord, you will speak through me, you think through me, you'll be the inspiration behind this. I pray that Holy Spirit, who is the perfect teacher, teach through me and orchestrate and lead and see fit what you want your people to receive tonight. I humble myself to you, O Lord, under your ministration. May I also be ministered as I'm ministering to your people. Thank you, O Lord, that we will receive truths that will paralyze the devil's influence over us in the name of Jesus. We will receive truths that will help us to have a victorious edge over demons and over every principality. Thank you that we will receive truths that will enforce our rights and understand that indeed we have authority. Thank you, O Lord. As we learn of this, may we love you more and more and understand what it took to sacrifice and to pay for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, in our first installment, we just want to unpack that word by defining it. Because sometimes when we want to understand certain things, don't just rush to teach us. Sometimes it's very important to just unpack just the word, unpack it. Once you are able to get the definition of the word, you get an overview of it. And when you get an overview of it, a source of now guides you on where you are going. Amen. So <clears throat> that's what I, I, I want to do tonight. Uh, I looked at the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, 1828. You know, there are, there are different kinds of Merriam-Webster's Dictionaries, but the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, 1828, is the best because it was translated with the Bible. You understand? Now, these modern ones, they are very diluted and, you know, very, very diluted uh, and very doctored, if I should say. 
So normally when I'm using Merriam-Webster's dictionary for Bible, Bible purposes, I always like to stick to the 1828. If I just want to define words just to write something, you know, whatever, as I is preaching or anything, then those ones that you have on the apps can do. But the 1828, it, it, it's, it's defined strictly with biblical inference. I understand me. So normally it has scriptures and everything uh, with it and everything. So most ministers who use Miriam Webster's dictionary tend to use the 1820. It's free anyway. You can download it. So you can just have it. It's good. Even if you don't know how to use the concordance, just using the Miriam Webster's dictionary 1820. It's green. If you should look at your whatever. If you are if you are using Android Pod B, um, your app app your your pod. What's it? What's it called? Uh, Android Store, whatever Play Store. If you are using um, Apple, uh, the, the the Apple Store, just check it. It's green, and then download it, and then use it. Amen. So normally, people who are afraid of using concordance because it seems like oh, it's a big word. How will I be able? I stand and just download this green Miriam Webster's and not not the red and blue one, the green one, eighteen twenty eight, because it, it has scriptures and everything. And normally, the reason why it's good is that when you check the concordance, the meaning is just exactly the same. Amen. So, Miriam Webster's Dictionary 1828, the word redemption comes from the word redeem, right? So, it, I mean, most, most of us speak English. A, a casual look at the word redeem, I, I believe you cannot explain it. But when you look at um, this dictionary, it gives us 11 different distinctions which I want to go through tonight. Amen. So the first one, and like I said, redemption comes from the word redeem. So for us to define that word, we will have to define the root word out of which we get the word redemption. So redeem, number one, it means to purchase back. That is to ransom or to liberate. This has more to do with slavery, right? So that is to buy someone back. You know, like during those times, the context in which this was written, slavery was a business. And, 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 and you know, there was a climate of slavery. So that word redemption was a very common word. So to anybody that lived during the biblical times or even among the 18th century, when you hear the word redemption, nine times out of ten, you might not be thinking Christian if you were not a Christian. Because it was a word that was used commonly among slaves. So to ransom, to, to liberate, to buy someone, to purchase someone back. Because those days, freedom was expensive. It had to be purchased, right? And when you, when you do that, you are in the form of redeeming, which is known as redemption, right? So that was it. So the first thing that we see is that redemption means to purchase or to ransom or to liberate. The second definition is to repurchase what has been sold. So now this, this now doesn't have to do, it has shifted from human beings to now properties and lands, you know. 
So normally, the, the person who would do a repurchase would have maybe experienced a free, some freedom or maybe he might be joined to a sovereignty that might have military might to be able to get themselves free of their captors. And when they are able to do that and when they go to their captors to get their spoils and, and their booty and, and plunder whatever belongs to them, one of the things they do is that they buy back whatever belongs to them from the citizens of the sovereignty. So now it's shifted now from people to now land's properties. As enemy. So that is also redemption. And in fact, this one has been a typical example. In real Leviticus chapter 25, you will see a classic case of redemption. When you see the word redeem being used there, redeem there is used for plots of land and possessions. So Leviticus 25. Number three, it means to deliver. That's deliverance. And this, you can look at Psalm 25 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. Psalm 25 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. So, well, another definition of redemption is deliverance. You've been delivered. Deliverance. That is redemption. Number four, to compensate or to make amends. So, I believe that we all understand what it means to make amends or to compensate, you know, that is also redemption. It's not a form of redemption. It's redemption. That is the definition. Number five, to free by making atonement. And how do you make atonement? What's the meaning of the word atonement? Atonement simply means to substitute right, to, 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 to substitute something, at atonement, to cover, substitutionary, to do something, to replace something, you know. So when we say that Jesus Christ became the atoning sacrifice, he took the place of the lamp. That's how he became the atoning sacrifice, right? So he, he came to cover, right, cover grounds, Cover what the lamp would have normally done. He rather put himself down now that I am the lamp. Atonement. So redemption also means to free by making atonement, which is good news. So when Jesus Christ atoned by putting his body down, the end result of that was Freedom was guaranteed. And who was freedom guaranteed to? In the subsequent series, we're going to talk about that. Number six, to pay the penalty of. So, if you park at a place where it's unwarranted and you are given a ticket and you want to pay the ticket before you go to the municipal court, what are you doing? You are redeeming. It's called redemption. You are paying the penalty off. You park near a fire hydrant or you just uh, stopped for just two minutes. By the time you came back, you had received the tickets. Now, the act of paying that ticket is redemption. 
you are paying the penalty of illegal parking or unwarranted parking. So number six, to pay the penalty of. Number seven, to save. So when we talk about redemption, redemption also has to do with being a savior. It means to save. Number eight, to perform what has been promised or to make goodbye promise. So that simply means to fulfill your pledge. So when you fulfill your pledge, that is redemption. So for example, you, t- you tell your friend, I'll call you at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, and you are able to call your friend at 3 p.m. That is redemption. That's the seventh definition, to perform what has been promised. So when you are able to fulfill a pledge or a vow, you have redeemed. One of the ways to know that people have integrity is when they vow to do something. You know. I have your book. I'll give it back to you. They never give you back your book. Oh, I have pledged $500. I'm going to pay. They never pay. Never the sun will rise and go down for five years. Never comes to their mind that they will have to... And they've not forgotten. They just will not do it. It's a lack of integrity. I pray that may we all be men and people of integrity that when we pledge and vow to do something, we will do it. The, the act of fulfilling an obligation, a duty, a pledge or a vow is redemption. Number nine... Now, this has more to do with law. That's to recall an estate or the right to re-enter. So, for example, if you've lost, you know, mortgage and you want to re-enter, you will have to pay the principal, the interest, the expenses, everything. All those things so that you'll be able to re-enter the, the mortgage negotiations is redemption. So, You know, redemption is such a broad word which is used in different spectra, okay? So there is a part of it that has to do with socioeconomics, a part of it that has to do with law, a part of it that has to do with theology. So redemption is not really a Bible word per se. Do you understand? Number 10, in theology. Now, this is the big one because we are all in the context and in the scope of theology. It means to deliver and rescue from bondage of sin and the penalty of God's violated law by obedience and suffering. Jesus Jesus had to suffer through obedience. As the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, So, from Sunday to Sunday, that space, that eight-day Sunday to Sunday, in between seven days, everything that happened was Christ trying to deliver and rescue us from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law. And how did he do that? By obedience and suffering. And that's why Jesus always quoted, I came to do the will of my father. We've been doing the John series and we will pick it up again this year sometime, sometime this year. 
what Jesus came was a result of obedience. Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says that he came in the form of man, even though he was God, he was equal with God. He taught it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, he was God. Humbled himself. And that word humble means kenosis. He emptied himself of his privileges. That word humble also means humiliation. Jesus coming on this earth was not really humility. It was more of humiliation. Emptied himself. Emptied himself of his pristine heights. Emptied himself of his uh, uh, divine splendor. Emptied himself of who he was. Emptied himself of everything and then took on the form of man. That's humiliation. Why? So that he will fulfill this. To deliver and rescue us from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law. There are penalties when you violate God's law. But today, you and I who have become believers or Christians, we are not on the side of the penalty of violation. We are rather at the other side. Do you know why? Because someone became a substitutionary offering in place of our sin. So that we could walk free, so that we could walk uncondemned, so that we could walk not guilty, and so that we could walk not feeling shame. Therefore, I pray in the name of Jesus for anybody who is suffering from condemnation, guilt, and shame. May you be delivered. And understand the reason for the season of Easter, which we will celebrate next week. And when we read Galatians chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2, we will see what it means for Christ to deliver and rescue us from the bondage of sin. So Christ's death was not in vain. Amen. Then number 11, the last one. Now this has to do with commerce and it means to purchase or pay the value in specie or a promissory note given by the state company or investor so that's maybe to buy something a building or whatever you know to pay for it that is also the act of redemption amen so now what's the concept of redemption so from what we've just looked at from Miriam Webster's dictionary. Redemption has a very broad paintbrush because it touches on commerce, it touches on law, it touches on theology, socioeconomic issues, etc., etc. But now, what we also have to understand is where does the concept of redemption come from? So all these are true. They are all littered in scriptures. In fact, when you look at from Genesis to Deuteronomy, you will see all these things. You will see the socioeconomic part where redemption is. You, you will see the theological aspect of redemption. You even see the commerce part of redemption all in Genesis to Deuteronomy, right there and there. But now, where does the concept of redemption come from? 
Because now we've been able to define the word. But before we were able to define the word, we have to trace the origin of redemption. So where does it really come from? The concept of redemption, listen to me, was born in Eden, where man sinned by disobeying God. So for us to really understand this, go with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 to 24. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 to 24. Genesis chapter 1 is the record of God creating the earth and man in six days. Chapter 2, the first 15 verses, God created woman in addition to man. Became man and woman, husband and wife. They cleave together, love themselves. In fact, the whole of the whole of Genesis chapter two is actually about that. About chapter two, you also see Adam being given the responsibility to tend and cater for the garden. Chapter three was the beginning of the fall. Man sinned, and how did he sin? He sinned by disobeying God. And what was the command? You can eat of every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible lets us know that there was a cunning serpent and the cunning serpent came. And when the cunning serpent came, the cunning serpent was able to allure them to a place of disobedience. And now, chapter 3, God pronounced this judgment on them. He said, woman, you will conceive in pain, conceive in sorrow. Man, <laughs> you will sweat. In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. So this makes me know that before the fall, handkerchiefs, if you were a handkerchief seller, you wouldn't make money. What is sweat? There is nothing like sweat. <laughs> before chapter 3, there is nothing like handkerchief. Handkerchief, you will make money. Today, handkerchief people are making a lot of money, you know, because of the curse of Adam. In the sweat of thy face, you shall eat bread. It's working. So, God now pronounced curses upon the serpents, the woman, and Adam for sinning. But there is something amazing. After all is said and done, before God drove them out of Eden. Now, you have to understand why God drove them out of Eden. If you critically look at the story carefully, God drove Adam and Eve out of Eden because he thought of the salvation of man. Somebody will say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Let's read the last, the last four verses. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 to 24. So now he's finished cursing them. After he had finished cursing them, Adam now called his wife Eve because she's the mother of all living. So verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us 
to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So, do you see why God had to drive them out of Eden? Because the only way they will only participate of the tree of life was if they participate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only reason. And now that they have participated of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes are open. That innocence that they have is gone. And now God looking at the state of them is like, these people, they are corrupted. If we should leave them to eat of the tree of life, they will live forever. And the tree of life means that you will be in that state forever. And for God, foreseeing redemption, decided that no, I have to drive these people out. Because if they should remain in the state in which they are, redemption is, can't happen. And let me tell you, this also makes you understand, should make you understand how God respects the will of man. How God respects the will of man. God can block Adam and Eve from not eating the, the, the fruit of the tree of good and evil. He can do that. But God respects man's will. He gave him a will. He created him. He, he didn't create him as a robot. He created him, gave him a will. God is not interested in robotic service. God is interested in people who will serve him out of their will and out of their hearts. That's why the whole world is not Christian yet. The whole world is not Christianized. God can easily make the whole world Christianized. But what is the point of making the whole world Christianized when you force people against their will? God wants people who are willing to serve him. So God is looking at will here. And that's why he says that they have to go. Because if they stay here, now in the corrupt state in which they are in, if they should partake of the tree of life, their state is worse. They have to go. So God drove the people out of Eden, not because of wickedness. He drove them out of Eden because he was looking at one day there was going to be an atoning sacrifice. And I believe that when God drove them out of Eden, he didn't drive drive them out to be homeless. Because in between chapter 3 and chapter 4, that is a long time. Adam and Eve were settled. They were established. They had kids, okay? So God also didn't drive them out to just be homeless. I believe that all those fine details... That we don't know for some reason. We might know maybe when we see God face to face. But I really believe that God didn't leave them homeless. But He had to drive them out. And when He drove them out, He now placed a sword so that the sword will guard the way of life. Now, verse 21 is very important. Let me read this in another translation called the Easy Translation. The Lord God made clothes for Adam and Eve to wear 
He used the skins from animals to make them. You know, when God was pronouncing his judgment on Adam, Eve, and the serpent, Adam and Eve, first and foremost, they were not wearing clothes because they had the glory of God around them. You know, they didn't feel vulnerable. They, they, I don't think they even felt the nakedness. But once they disobeyed God, they didn't have the glory of God as their rear guard and as their covering. They felt naked. So they used fig leaves. But after God had pronounced the judgments, God took tunics of skin from animals. And let me tell you, for God to have a tunic of skin... It meant an animal had to die and shed its blood. So that is where the concept of redemption actually came from. And mind you, God was sending them out of his presence, out of the garden, now to face the harsh realities of the weather, to face the wildness of the earth. And and just wearing fig leaves is not going to do We all live here in this part of the world where we experience cycles of seasons. When it's autumn, you know what happens to leaves. These people, their tower will not even last one cycle, one, one season cycle. But God in his manifest wisdom prepared something durable for them that they will be able to, it will now cover their nakedness and also number two, they will be able to be sustained in the harsh realities of the world. But that happened at the death of an animal or animals. I don't know how many animals that were killed for them to have clothing, but there was death. So in the scripture, death happened in heaven. It happened to animals that were used to clothe Adam and Eve. And it was a spiritual implication. It was a prophetic word talking about the ministry of Jesus one day who will come down and he will use his blood rather to cover us of our sin. Redemption. So the concept of redemption started from the Garden of Eden. God in his wisdom made clothing from animal skin and it came at the expense of the death of an animal and it's the concept of christ who is going to be our kinsman redeemer who will deliver us from sin by laying down his life that's it the tunic skin was christ will be our kinsman redeemer who will deliver us from sin by laying down his life. And let me tell you, even though Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, God still spoke to Abel. God still spoke to Cain. God still spoke to humanity. So God did not really abandon humanity to the end of itself. Until when we read Genesis chapter 6 where the Bible says that now the wickedness had arisen so much that the people of the earth began to sin so much and pollute the earth that the earth had to be washed away. But until then, God did not 
forget about Adam and Eve. They were not a forgotten agenda. And that's why when we read Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it calls Jesus the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. I hope we do remember Pastor Robert touched on that. Revelation chapter 13, when we're doing the Revelation series, he he did talk about that. If we all paid attention, he, he made some interesting comments there. Jesus is the lamp, you see, before the foundation of the world. So, redemption is not an afterthought. Redemption is not an accident. Redemption is not a word that just popped up because Adam sinned. Redemption is not something like it's a last minute and the 11th hour that God had to cook some things together and say, let me now create a doctrine called redemption. Redemption was before God created the heaven and earth, before he created the heaven and earth, before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, before God said, let there be light and there was light, God thought of redemption. He saw Jesus as the lamp of God who will be slain before the foundation. And what does it mean that Christ was the lamp of God who was slain before the foundation? It simply means that God had already made provision. He had advanced plans for the program of redemption, the agenda of redemption to come into play. Because God knows the end from the beginning. He knew that when he created this world, it was going to be tainted with sin. And before he created the earth, he had already ordained Christ as the lamp of God slain before the foundation of the earth. Why? Because it is only through him that we will experience redemption. So, the word redemption from Genesis chapter 3, right up onto the book of Exodus, the word redemption now morphed. It morphed into different definitions and different meanings. And some of the definitions as well I, I read to you. It meant business and commerce. It, it had something to do with slavery, buying back. It has something to do with law. Now it morphed into various definitions. But now I want us to now shift our attention to Exodus chapter 3 and end here. So apart from Adam and Eve who experienced redemption, Another group of people also experienced what was redemption. So now let's go to it. Adam's redemption was solely spiritual. What God did to Adam and Eve was a spiritual significance and it was pointing to the coming redemptive ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ who will come down in like manner like the Son of Man lay down his life, cover our sins, so that we will be free from the wrath of God to come. But now, apart from Adam and Eve who experienced redemption, there is also another group of people that experienced redemption. So now go with me to Exodus chapter 3. To understand the book of Exodus, you really have to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Because Genesis chapter 12 talks to us about when God called Abram. He was called Abram. And then his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. 
But when God called Abraham, God spoke to Abraham. God told him that I'm going to create a nation out of you. Chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. Chapter 12, he just called him. He said, follow me. Leave your country, your father's house. Follow me. I will make your name great. He gave him all those promises. Abraham believed. Abraham obeyed. Abraham followed God. Now, in chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham that everything that I said whilst you are in the, in the, in the land of the year of the Chaldees, I'm going to do it. And for you to know I'm going to do it. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need to have a covenant with us because his word is as good as he is. He doesn't need to have a covenant with us. He will never fail. His glory he shares with nobody. He is the Lord. But to prove to Abraham of a certainty that in blessing I will bless you. And out of you shall your descendants be like the sand of the sea. Let me make a covenant with you. So he made a covenant with him. And then if you read Genesis chapter 15, you will see the items that were used for the, the sacrifice that formed the, the, the bond of the covenant. But God told Abraham something. He said, out of your descendancy are going to be a group of people who are going to be oppressed by the Egyptians. They will be oppressed by the Egyptians 400 years, but they will experience deliverance. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, we are now going to see the fulfillment of that age-long prophecy, four centuries prophecy. We are now going to see the fulfillment of it. So now, let's read from chapter 3, verse 8. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. So, this is God talking to Moses. So, in chapter 3, Moses was just tending the flock. And then he saw a bush, right? It's, 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 it's burning, but the leaves are not consumed. He, well, he, he went towards it. God spoke to him. And out of that, Moses received this mandate that you are no longer going to be a shepherd of your father-in-law's flock. You are now going to be a shepherd of God's people. I'm sending you to go back to a place where you have a murder charge to go and deliver the people out of captivity. So now they are talking. And in their conversation, God says something very important I want us to note. So I have come down to deliver. Now, if you look at the Hebrew word of this word, deliver, it means redeem, rescue. And if you do remember, when we read the definitions of the word redeem, one of them was deliver or deliverance. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. I wish time was on my side so that I could really read the whole of Exodus chapter 3 and then we go through it very well. Because this is just one aspect of redemption. This is one aspect. The children of Israel experienced redemption on two fronts. 
they experienced redemption socioeconomic wise. Okay, their status was going to change from a servant to being a citizen. Their, their status was going to change from a pilgrim or a foreigner to now being a citizen of their own land, a place where they can go, okay, this particular place is now my country. I'm a citizen of this country. This is my land. I'm settled here. On two fronts. So socioeconomic. But the other side of redemption that we also have to see is that it was also spiritual. Because the main reason, this was not the main reason why God actually called the Israelites out of captivity. The main reason was he called them out so that they will worship him. They will be his people and he will be their God. This is secondary. Socioeconomic status is secondary. The main reason why God decided to make redemption or deliverance available to the children of Israel was because he wanted to establish a relationship with them. So the Israelites experienced redemption on two levels, socioeconomic, which means that their status was going to change from slave to now becoming a free person, you know, from a foreigner to now becoming a citizen of their own land. They were going to now come to a place of prosperity and abundance. But aside that, they were also now going to have God as their God. They were not going to serve the God of the Egyptians. They were all going to serve God. So this is redemption from the Old Testament. How it all started. So from this place now, we can now trace redemption right up to the New Testament. The implications of redemption and what it means to live a redeemed life. So like I said, Adam's redemption was a very um, um, spiritual one. It had a spiritual significance. It pointed that one day, the lamp of God who was slain before the foundation of the world is actually going to come in like manner, like the Son of Man, down the cross and become the covering of our sin. Aside Adam and Eve becoming the recipients of redemption, the children of Israel also experienced redemption, but they experienced it on two fronts. Spiritual. That they will be taken out from the sin, from the godlessness of Egypt, so that now they can become one with God, worship God, have their laws, and of a truth, they will be called the chosen of God. But not just that, it also impacted on their socioeconomic status. So tonight, we just want to use this as the foundation just to unveil and unpack the meaning of the word redemption, trace its roots, and then now we can now look at it from the New Testament, what redemption really means. Amen. I'm down for now. It's 11 minutes to 8. If you have any questions, contributions, the floor is open. God bless you.
So since there is silence, what did you learn then? It looks like nobody has a question. What did we all learn? Shall I start calling names? Can you hear me? I can. All right. Uh, I, I, I like the, uh, the breakdown of the definition of redemption. Um, you know, I, you know, when you were talking about the slaves, um, I was, you know, remembering um, that, mo you know, most people back in the day, they were enslaved because they owed money, debt, whether it was taxes or they borrowed money or whatever have you. So they owed money. And so um, they were enslaved until they so-called pay off the debt. But usually if you were enslaved by a wicked person, that person can have you enslaved for a really long time beyond what you actually owed. And so that kind of reminds, it, it echoes a lot of um, what, what we are before we get saved. And the devil wants to take more than, than he has a right to take when we don't have Jesus. And so, you know, when I think of redemption, I think of the blood of Christ redeeming me. As you were trying, I was sharing that example. I said, yeah, he took, us, he took me back. You know, I'm making, I was making it personal. He took me back and he redeemed me so the devil no longer has that hold anymore. And so I was just thinking about that. Um, and anything that I did always paid off. So I, I just I just want to share that because it was just speaking to me while you were talking. Amen. That's very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, Pastor, I have a question. Yes, sir. Yeah, in listening to your discussion, you make a point that God spoke to Abel and spoke to Cain. So at what point that the redemption of God impacted on Cain? Okay, that's a good question. So at what point did redemption impact upon Cain? Redemption impacted upon Cain because God put a mark on him so that nobody will kill him. Okay. Thank you. Because he was a murderer. Blood for blood. But God preserved him. And God didn't allow anybody to touch him. Put a mark on him. So all these are offshoots of redemption. What's the offshoot of redemption? The offshoot of redemption is mercy. See, um, God said something in the Old Testament. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy to. God, God, God doesn't need our counsel. 
I will not understand, like, why do you show mercy to a murderer? He murdered his, his, his blood brother. And even the Bible lets us know that the blood of Abel from the ground it spoke vengeance. But God didn't listen to it. Because you can't cancel God upon whom he will show mercy to. So even the, the fact that there is the, 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 the principle of mercy, it comes from the offshoot. It's, it's an offshoot of redemption. In mass, they did, we did something called subsets. So, so mercy is a subset of redemption. So without redemption, there cannot be there cannot be mercy. So I will say that because God had mercy upon Cain, that was the point at which redemption was impacted upon his life, because it started from the Garden of Eden. When God used tunics of skin to cover his father and his mother. Amen. All right, so I just remembered this scripture. Let me just read this scripture so that I'll tie up all the loose ends. So when God told Moses that I'm going to deliver the people or redeem the people. Did he do it? Well, when we read through the scriptures, we realize he did it. But let me read David's account because he summed it up beautifully. Now, if you go through the book of Exodus, it's a period of about seven chapters, the redemption. The 10 plagues had to come, you know, and after the 10th plague, it was not enough. They had to cross through the Red Sea before they experienced permanent redemption or total freedom. But David sums it up very beautifully in Psalm 105. And I would advise you, just read Psalm 105. It's a powerful scripture. But let me start from verse 37. Do you know what I find funny? When you read Psalm 105, these people didn't know God. They didn't know God. The children of Israel, they didn't know God. God says they are anointed. Do not touch them. Can you believe it? Verse 14, he says, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Who was he talking about? Was he talking about pastors? There were no pastors there. There were no priests there. These are Israel. They've been earmarked for redemption. God says they are anointed. They haven't even received the commandments of the law. God says they are anointed. Say, so don't touch them. And they were not even prophets. They, well, according to the Bible, up till then, Abraham was a prophet. Moses was a prophet. Right? So, up the, the, in, in between Genesis chapter 12 to Exodus, when they experienced freedom, is it Exodus chapter 12, when they experienced freedom, that was when the, the, the blood was put on the doorpost and the angel of death came. Up until then, God says they are anointed. Yeah, they didn't know the scripture. They, did, they didn't even know who God was. So, God really loves us. God cares for us. And how much more you who are a Christian? You are anointed. Well, there's 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. 
Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. You know, these Egyptians, they started to become afraid of the Israelites. These were people who were slaves. They beat them, torment them, subject them to very cruel and harsh conditions. But when redemption came to town, the, the, the bully now became the bullied. And that's what redemption can do. There is, there, is the, there is power in the force of redemption that if you and I are able to understand it, the devil who has been bullying you all your life, he will now become the bullied. That spirit of oppression that has been bullying you all your life, it's time now it becomes the bullied. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quail, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Did these people deserve a meal from the Lord? But because the force of redemption was in power, they experienced the mercy of God. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. Can you drink water from a rock? God, God brought things from unusual avenues and uncommon places. And the Bible lets us know that it's run in the dry places like river. For he remembered his holy promise. Why did God redeem the Israelites? The force of redemption came into effect because he remembered his holy servant, Abraham, the promise he made to him. That's why if you want to understand Exodus chapter 3, like I said, trace it back to Genesis chapter 15, because that was when God made a covenant with Abraham. He brought out his people with joy, chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the land of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labor of the nations, that they might observe his... Th- so you see why he, 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 the socioeconomic status had to change. It had to change so that they will observe the statutes of the Lord and keep his laws. So we can't talk about redemption. Should that affect our material, prosperity, socioeconomic status, and it doesn't affect our spiritual status where we are delivered from sin, we are born again, we are candidates for heaven, Hence, reading the book of Revelation that we will look forward to the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption is useless. It's 801, I'm out of time. Thank you, Lord, for blessing your people. Thank you for what we've heard in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, guys.